0: Welcome to so what you're saying is I'm Peter Whittle. Now my guest today is the philosopher and author Nina Power. I'm very pleased that she's joining us. She has just written her latest book, What Do Men Want? Masculinity and Its Discontents. Um, timely, I think you'll agree. Um, Nina, why did you write this book?
1: Well, I think increasingly it was partly to do with this kind of feeling I was getting that men were being kind of demonised increasingly, in like left-wing and liberal press. Um, And I'd already written quite a bit about feminism and I think a lot of what describes itself as feminism today isn't actually feminism, but rather a kind of uh, sort of superficial ideological cover story for other things that are going on. Um, So I actually wanted to write something that was reasonable, Um, and balanced, I wanted to look at some of the supposed complaints of so-called men's rights activists and see if there was what was going on with them, rather than just do this kind of dismissive demonisation, which I think we see a lot, particularly in the last five years. Yep.
0: What I found interesting is you you wrote What Men Really Want. Could a man man write a book with that title, do you think?
1: Well, I mean, the, the title is obviously a joke, a reference to Freud in two ways so obviously famously or infamously Freud says what does woman want and he doesn't know the answer yeah um so i thought i would make a joke about that and of course sometimes some people have responded uh in an upset way to the title is it how dare you you know Um, (laughs) Well, you
0: mean, how dare you presume to know? Yes, exactly. And of course, I say
1: that I I don't answer the question. I mean, I have a list in the book where I've asked my male friends and they've given me like a one or two word answer, like a beer or a shed or to be left (laughs) alone and these kind of things. Um, But of course, there is no one answer to this question. But I wanted to pitch it in that way because I wanted to talk about desire and this more kind of psychoanalytic level, to some extent, like to get beneath the kind of culture war stuff. Um, either the sort of demonisation of men or of the kind of, I don't know, uh, maybe sometimes overly simplistic idea that men are one thing.
0: Mm. Uh, And that one thing would be what?
1: Yeah, um, I suppose, well, to be honest, the more I wrote the book, the more I found that I had sympathy with a certain kind of masculinist discourse, actually, which is about what it means to recover manhood or masculinity in an era which seems... uh, Like it wants to destroy it, you know, and that would go uh, in relation to being a good man to being a father You know to simply being somebody who looks after themselves and looks after other people and sort of takes responsibility so actually it became more of a book about um, Those bigger questions about uh, almost like moral virtue to some extent and the way in which um, being a good man seems to be occluded or obscured in, in our kind of liberal, <laughs> degenerate <laughs> world, um, but I also, it also became a book about the relationship between men and women yeah. as well. Um, so I talk about this idea of heterosociality, like we're in this very mixed world, you know, all of these kind of separate spheres have been eroded and we're together all the time at school, at work and, you know, in, in general. And, and I suppose it's like, uh, it's a question about the limits of that mixed liberal project. It's yes. like, you know, and I think a lot of people are asking themselves these questions, you know, how, have we gone too far <laughs> yeah, yeah. in certain ways? And are there ways in which we can preserve uh, difference, uh, sexual difference, for example, where it's important to do so? You know, and we see these kind of tensions, these blurring of the boundaries constantly, um, and they're causing a kind of great deal of upset. So, I mean, I wanted to write something that was reasonable and balanced, which I think in the current climate is almost provocative, because everything seems to have to be polemical, yeah. you know, and I didn't want to do that.
0: You you actually made the point at the beginning, which I think is very important, you said, I'm going to use the word sex throughout the book as opposed to gender. This is one of the big things, isn't it? I mean, basically, biological sex as opposed to gender, which is you know, where so many of the arguments now stem from.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I think gender, it was a mistake in a way to ever use that word. It came from John Money, who is, you know, a kind of disgraced... Um, researcher who tried to use it to say that there is a difference between sex and and the social reception of sex and he he thought that he could um, bring up boys as if they were girls and that this wouldn't have any
0: uh when was that actually i didn't realize when did
1: he do this um i'm not sure of the dates but it's, it's there were a couple of boys one of whom lost his genitals in an accident and john money decided to with the parents consent to bring up the boy as if he were a girl um and but a lot of his practice was extremely unethical and both of the boys um, ended up committing suicide and john money is really very disgraced figure but i so basically and then you know some of the second wave feminists use gender as a way of talking about social expectation and social constructs you know the idea that on top of sex, there is expectation that is particularly narrow, so that boys must behave in one way and girls must behave in another. And obviously, they wanted to challenge that, and they, for both boys and girls, and to say no: social expectation should be kind of um, um, abolished or eliminated, and that everybody should be free to express themselves however they want. And that historically, this has been particularly detrimental uh, for girls who have been kind of chan- funneled into narrow, you know, roles. Yeah. Um, so there was a kind of strategic use of gender at a particular point in the 70s. And I think that filtered down as someone who was at school in the 1990s. You know, there was a kind of uh, ambient second wave idea, not explicitly, but the idea that it, you could be anything. It didn't matter if you were a girl, you could you know, be interested in things that were historically boy things or whatever. You know, there, so but since then, there's been this kind of, I think, very regressive move towards thinking of gender as something that is uh, a feeling you know, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. something like a, almost like a Gnostic idea of like the soul. It's like your true self is this. Yeah. um, yeah. And it's kind of completely detached from your, your body as if you're not your body. Um, And so we've entered into this kind of uh, weird paradigm in which the choosing of the self has become this kind of liberal apex. um, And that we must all kind of, uh, go on this bizarre journey to discover our mm. individuality, mm. which is completely um, compatible with consumer capitalism and the liberal individualism at its worst. Yes. Um, so I think, uh, along with a lot of women in particular, but not only, I think that I wanted to be um, strategic as well yeah. in my use of saying, like being very clear and saying, like, sex is real, you know, mm. men exist, women exist. You know, it's important to recognize these things and not drift off into some kind of fantasy that we can all choose our sex. That doesn't mean that people can't express themselves wherever they want, you know, but it's, it's just not to um, go so far into this uh, fantasy, you know, mm. where I think people are encouraged to live in a way that is actually very detrimental to themselves, you know, um, but rather accept a certain level of basic reality, which has social and political consequences for all of us.
0: I think actually what's interesting about that, you to that, is that, the, you know, the whole, the whole idea, you know, oh, well, you, you don't have to, the girl doesn't have to like pink, the boy doesn't have to automatically like blue growing up. That sort of a, almost seems quaint now, because what's happening now, particularly with the trans lobby, is that they're, they're looking at a boy who only likes pink and, and, and maybe dolls, and they're saying, well, he's obviously a girl then. This is, yeah. we've sort of gone back. It's like... Uh, you know, what are you talking about? I mean, you know, the, the old liberal position was, hey, you know, what's wrong with a boy liking that? Now it's, well, looking at him and saying, well, actually, to all intents and purposes, you're obviously a girl, so let's start giving you, uh, you know, puberty blockers or whatever it is.
1: No, it's insane. I mean, it's it's child abuse and it's completely yes. regressive. Um, it also um, punishes children who may be gay, who are gender yeah. non-conforming. You know, a lot of people have been pointing at this out, LGB Alliance, yeah. um, defending same-sex... Um, on the basis of, you know, sex as sexual attraction. Um, I think, you know, making children make decisions about their fertility when they don't even maybe know what that means um, is will be looked back upon with kind of horror. Um, you know, we already see a lot of uh, people transitioning. Mm-hmm. I think there'll be a lot of uh, legal cases about this. And, and of course, like many people, especially women, have been severely punished for saying anything about mm-hmm. this, whether it's to do with... Um, the importance of sex in law or women's sports which is also kind of being destroyed by Mm. narcissists Um, and I think you know one of the problems we've got is a culture that actually rewards forms Mm. of parental narcissism and even like Munchausen's by proxy you know you like you can get a lot of attention if you say that your kid is trans you know and it's there's a kind of social contagion aspect to it but I think this is um, you know Ultimately, there's, there, are, there are lots of terrible aspects to this and mm. lots of horrifying aspects. And I think the way the idea that children can be trans and, and, you know, if a child says, I prefer doing this thing than another, then therefore they must be the opposite sex is one of the most regressive ideas that has emerged in the past sort of few years.
0: One of the ideas that has emerged is this whole phenomena of supposed toxic masculinity. Yeah. Right? Now, <clears throat> It's interesting you know because quite recently i was at uh, dinner and there were other people at the table and uh, in fact ollie uh, our cameraman was with me so he can attest to this uh basically we were sitting at a table and there was a, a a young woman and she was explaining to her friends there why everything had gone wrong with her relationship and she kept referring to toxic masculinity what i found odd about that was that she 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 put it down to some objective thing mm. as well I mean I don't know what was what was wrong with the relationship, obviously I don't know them. but it was very interesting that she she used that phrase do you even do you think we should just stop using this phrase
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. no for sure I mean, I think there's you know one of the things I try and talk about the in the book is like. You know, often when relationships break down, it's not particularly anyone's fault. And mm. a lot of the time people are looking to be, be the victim when actually it might just have been a bad relationship. And but I think it's very morally important that we say that everyone is capable of harm, right? Everyone is capable, men and women, of both causing harm and also being harmed, right? Because if the moment you start saying, well, women are always the victims, then you kind of deny the moral agency. And we're back to, you know, some very, very hierarchical model, right? which I, I totally want to avoid. Like, I think life is, is risk. You know, someone like Camille Paglia is amazing on this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and I think I agree with her on this, this question of risk and reality. Um, and yes, yeah, so I think it's, it's just a very easy way of saying, of, of kind of um, releasing oneself from any culpability, mm. if you can talk, uh, mm. you know, appeal to this supposed ontological thing. It doesn't mean that men can't behave badly, but, but so can women, mm. you know. Um, Do
0: you think they're... Do you think there is such a thing as toxic femininity?
1: Yes, I do. I mean, I think if we're going to say there's toxic masculinity, then... No, if, we <laughs> I are, think if
0: we are, yes. If we
1: are. Um, yes, I mean, it might be things like the kind of... Uh, the, the HR woman or, you know, the kind of... I don't know, the, the feminization of particular uh, institutions, which I think has been severely detrimental for, um, you know, again, a sort of acceptance of risk and the grey area and playfulness and the fact that people make mistakes. You know, I th- I think there are tendencies... Um, in both sexes that we might want to, I don't know, in a, discuss, but in a more lighthearted way. Yes. You know what yes, I mean? Yes. Like there's, a, there's always a kind of game and a playfulness, yeah. like between the sexes, you know, and it, it's not always to do with sex. It's to do with discourse and, and how we get along, you know. But I think, yeah, it's, it's always this kind of question of balance. And I think in some ways, some things have been overly feminized, right, to, you know. Uh, what I would think... those
0: things be? I mean, I think I know, like you're talking about yeah. risk averse thing, right? Um, if one's gonna talk about classic things, it would be maybe um, a very strong sense of safety, for example. Would that, be a fa- would that be a feminine thing, do you think, or not? Yeah,
1: potentially. I mean, I think in some senses it makes sense. You know, if you, if you want to mm. protect your children and, mm. and so on, it makes sense to be able to understand which men might be predators, right? But this is actually something that's also being eroded by our kind of liberal culture, which is to do with female intuition and who, isn't and, uh, who is and isn't trustworthy. Mm you know, and if you're being told, no, you're not allowed to say that, you Mm. know, about particular men, um, then you're also eliminating that. So I think, but I I don't know, I think um, like primary schools, for example, was a classic example of where women dominate and Mm. often this seems to mitigate against young boys in a way being allowed to behave in the way that they they do without being punished, if you saw, I mean, or what without being put on drugs for their Mm. supposed bad behaviour. I mean, I increasingly think that probably schools should go back to being segregated for
0: everyone's right. sake. Right. OK. OK. Yeah. Uh, mine was. I mean, was yours? No,
1: I went to a comprehensive school. <laughs>
0: uh, well, mine was just an old fashioned grammar school. Yeah. But it was it was sort of segregate, segregated. Um, I think what's interesting, there's another point that came came up in reading the book um, is that. We're going to talk a bit about your politics, but broadly you might say it would be considered a, not a left-wing, well yes, a partly a left-wing uh, perspective, which is that a lot of this has come down to the dominance of individual, hyper-individual capitalism, that basically we're all just consumers and it doesn't really matter, so you, you talk about these various institutions, well, such as uh, family, honour, religion, those sort of things, uh, has been washed away by consumer capitalism. and This is what has brought about, in some ways, this problem for men. Is that right?
1: Yeah, partly. I mean, I think I'm very influenced by people like Ivan Illich, yep. who's a, a kind of renegade Catholic thinker who wrote some very brilliant books that were critical of institutions, um, but also kind of defended ideas of conviviality mm. and of a kind of social life and a spiritual life outside of the institution and outside of this kind of, um, you know, increasing individualism and Mm. and so on. So yeah, I like these kind of renegade um, thinkers who are hard to pin down politically as well. Like Mm. it's difficult to say whether Illich is left, centre or right in lots Mm. of ways. Mm. Um, there are elements of all of those thinking in his own. Um, Yeah, I so I think, I don't know. I mean, it, there is a kind of complexity in talking about capitalism. I mean, I, I suppose I mean a particular kind of capitalism, which which emphasises the kind of consumer individualism. You know, I don't have. I mean, maybe we could talk about markets against capital or something. I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not against markets as such. I think they're a kind of deep anthropological feature mm-hmm. of our history. Um, yeah.
0: You see, the thing is, reason I asked you this, know yeah. is, is I think it's a fascinating point actually. I can absolutely see the logic of your argument, but Mm. coming from my political perspective, it seems to me that they might have worked in an unholy alliance, but that the destruction of those things I mentioned has come almost entirely from the left. Uh, You know, that sort of the destruction of a sense of communal patriotism, um, family, all the kind of attacks have basically become what effectively to begin with, ideological in many ways, and indeed feminism. That In the fact, they've come from the left. And where they've been given this strength is by the extraordinary uh, economic dynamics mm-hmm. of our time. So would you accept that or not, really? I,
1: no, I, and there may be a point of disagreement here, but it's because so when I think of conservatism, I think of preservation, I think, of slowness, but I don't think that's what actual conservatives did, if you see what I mean. Yeah. I think, they, in, in fact, they, they were in hock to the free market and mm-hmm. destruction and the destructive element of that, rather than saying, you know, why don't we protect our sovereignty and produce all our own food and become, you know, mm-hmm. be self-sufficient yeah. and respect our own heritage and all of those sorts of things. So I think free market ideology in practice is not conservatism, as I understand it.
0: No, but this is a point, this is a big point, you would know. I mean, it's one of the big arguments on the right, if you would Mm -hmm. like. I mean, when I look at people who are absolute free-market purists, um, they are a million miles from me, for example. Right. Not because I don't believe in capitalism, because I do, but I see a lot of them, they don't really care, for example, much about patriotism, not really. They don't care about immigration, for example, very much. You know, it's all a matter of the market is dominant. So that has this effect, does it not, on traditional kind of ideas of how we see
1: men and women? Yeah, I mean, I think maybe it's coming from both the left and the right, mm. if you see what I mean. I, oh. You know, I, I'm increasingly interested in what it means to talk about place. I'm very much oh. interested in questions of heritage. I think the left have made mistakes in, in terms of giving up any discussion of, of belonging and the land. You know, they've ceded all of that discussion to, to the right and to this kind of often a very flimsy idea of what they think patriotism or nationalism is. I mean, uh, well, it suits them to be patriotic for countries like Ukraine at the moment. But, mm. you know, I, I think there has been a kind of an, an absence of a, a real discussion about what it means to to belong, to feel proud, to, yeah. to you know, in, in the sense of, I mean, I grew up in, in Wiltshire, which is a beautiful place that has enormous amounts of prehistory, you know, and they're extraordinary places. And I think the idea that anyone who's kind of interested in History or heritage must therefore be reactionary or right wing mm. is just like completely misplaced. Mm. Um, and, yeah, so I, I, I don't know. But I do think there's a particular kind of consumer capitalism which is extremely destructive on these mm. relations. Mm. And whether we see that as left or right or just something else, maybe mm. slightly inhuman. <laughs> mm, <yeah. laughs> you
0: know. I mean, like, for example, some of our viewers, for example, m- m- might get in touch or have done in the past to... Um, Express their anger at the way that men are portrayed, say in ads. Yeah, for sure. Now, but that is a commercial consideration, mm-hmm. uh, just as much as it's anything. I, you know, they're saying men are always seen as stupid. Yeah, it's you know, true. You know, especially white men. Uh, you know, uh, you know what's going on. But the thing is, you know, no one is going to do this if it doesn't get the money or profit. Surely.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I totally agree with that diagnosis, though. I mean, I think it's absolutely ill-dignified the way that, you know, men are portrayed in mainstream culture. You know, it's as if, yeah, men are are, like always foolish or idiotic or, you know, there's no respect for fathers in in particular. And I think there's also no respect for mothers. I think mothers are also scapegoated horribly as well, like actual mothers, if you see what Mm. I mean, the figure Mm. of the mother. So I think... We need to resurrect a respect for our elders, right? That whether they're our actual parents or our ancestors or all of those things. I mean, again, it makes no sense to to, to pretend that we're somehow cut off from all of these yeah. ties, or yeah. as if our ancestors didn't have wisdom. And you know, I make that point in the book. And so, I yeah, sure. I mean, it, it maybe it's profitable to portray men in this way, but but it's still wrong. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's a moral question. You know, I think I suppose it's just I. I think, well, the things that people really care about, right, I don't think are money. They are Mm. social relations. They are Mm. the people that you love, your friends. They are things that you value, like nature, Mm. you know, outside of those Mm. economic bonds. Mm. And to see everything in an economic way is just, I don't know, so it's kind of horrific, actually.
0: Well, it is kind of horrific, but also, you know, over the past few years, we see just example after example after example. Brexit, I feel, would be one of the perfect ones still to this day many remainers the remainer arguments still cannot quite understand all the non-economic arguments people might have because mm-hmm. you can't often prove them can you in the sense that you know they are there's something in the air you know a sense of community and locality and all of this it's very important I've sort of like assumed your left wingery, Um, but I think I'm, I mean, what is your, what would you call yourself if you have to call yourself anything? I mean, and and did you start off as something else? You know, I mean, a lot of people who've come through this studio um, have been on journeys, you know, in some (laughs) ways. You know, it's that terrible cliche, you know, Simon, uh, what is it, Piers Morgan journeys or whatever. But have you had one?
1: Um, Yeah, I guess so. Although I do think that most of my intuitions, at least, are the same as they were when I was about 15. But Mm. I think the various Overton windows have shifted in such bizarre ways since then. Um, So, you know, I'm very much interested in in community, sociability, um, humour, free expression and defence of arts and culture you know all of these things that i think make life worth living <laughs> and i think the left used to be much much better on on freedom of expression or at least the left that i remember um so i so i don't, I don't know it's very hard for me to say where i am now like yeah, in some ways yeah. like old left but I, I mean probably now by you know but then for some people i would be kind of far right or a nazi even you know mm. and a, p- some idiot mind well, you that
0: takes in Probably 90% of the world now are, no, exactly, if you exactly. listen to these people. No,
1: exactly. So, I mean, I don't, you know, so, so that's not true either, obviously. Mm. Um, and it's just a, you know, word that people toss around to they don't like. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I tried in a way to be kind of more or less not very political in that book. I tried to kind of almost be centrist in the kind of approach, which is to say, like, um, to listen to both sides and to look at, you know, yeah. um, what's really going on with men and how this uh, relates to how we might rethink our relations. Um, I mean, I'm very interested in talking to anybody and everybody, right? I think one of the, the, the things that the left increasingly did was to say, no, we can't listen to this person, we've got to no platform, that person, you know, and this happened to a lot of women who wanted to talk about, you know, proposed changes of the Gender Recognition Act. And, you know, I myself got kind of like cancelled and mobbed and people emailing well, everyone. Was, well, tell us
0: what happened there. What, what,
1: what... Oh, I mean, like it was, it was very uh, silly. Like I posted something on Facebook about... Um, because I used to be a member of the Labour Party, and I'm not anymore, obviously, but um, I'm not a very active member. But, you know, I was very involved in the student protests and defending people who'd been um, prosecuted from them. And I was very committed to the idea of free, free education. Um, and I posted something about the what was going on in the Labour Party, where various women were being kind of um, interrogated, literally, mm-hmm. about their things they'd said in relation to the proposed change to the Gender Recognition Act. And I thought these women are being... Um, Uh, treated appallingly like this you know these secret kind of um yeah like really they were interrogations and they'd leaked some of the transcripts and i read them and i just thought like i I don't want to live in this world you know where women are being uh, hauled over the coals for asking perfectly reasonable questions about policy you know and so i thought like and you know i could see this issue maybe becoming something that like really sadistic people were using (laughs) to attack others and i there was a lot of this going on and yeah, so I, so I suppose I I I posted something thinking, oh like this will probably get some you know negative reaction, but I didn't realise what would actually happen, which is like you actually get targeted by mm. specific activists and you know and then people kind of denounce you and yeah like they write to everyone you've ever worked with or they you know they try to get your work removed or they try to get your book cancelled or they try to stop you from speaking. Like I've given I, I gave talks about the masculinity project. Um, at university and the university was so scared that I would be attacked that they hired security guards to protect yeah. me. Yeah. You know, and it's and this isn't uncommon, you know, people like yeah. Selena Todd and mm. Kathleen Stark and, you know, all these women mm. who said a lot more than I did, um, you know, were really brave or look at the way J. K. Rowling has been mm. treated. Um, you know, and it's kind of insane, right? Mm. It's just mm. so that was like a real experience of, of the reality mm. of, I don't know, some of today's horrors
0: <laughs> Do you uh, in the in the book, you know, you you, you put forward some ideas of what should happen, I don't mean to uh, uh, wrongly uh, summarise it but it seems to me that we've just got to come together and basically talk more, um, but how do you think, how can that be done, I mean particularly now that we're becoming more and more atomized, more and more isolated, you know, dating such like this, you know, you hear horror stories yeah. about it now, I mean how the hell can we do that?
1: Well, I think in the first place, it's about recognising these forms of division and how these technologies and like the last two years of Covid are basically like, you know, technologies Mm. to kind of separate us and to make us feel that we've got less in common. And I think this rhetoric that, uh, you know, against men and dividing men and women has been going on for a long time. Um, So I think in the first place, it's about recognising those um, forces that seek to divide people and to prevent dialogue and to prevent, you know, people people who disagree from talking to each other, you know, I'm like, I'm a philosopher, I believe in dialogue, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, and reason and Mm -hmm. these sorts Mm -hmm. of things. Um, And again, I suppose it's like that I talk about this idea of eutropelia, which I take from Illich, who takes it from the Greeks, which is this idea of graceful play, that Mm. actually one of the ways of interacting that's most beautiful is to um, engage in a form of like beautiful play, which is to do with how we speak to each other. And, you know, that we have time and we listen to each other and we talk. So I think in the first place, it's maybe about a generosity, like if somebody's, Mm. you know, like if if men are saying, look, we're upset about this thing or, you know, access to children or, you know, the suicide rate or these very serious things, it's like saying rather than just this sneering, dismissive attitude, it's Mm. like saying, well, how can we actually listen to people, see what's going on, you know, then come to some negotiation or this discussion so that we can make as many people happy as possible. I'm not Mm. utilitarian, but you know, to to actually um, take seriously the fact that everybody suffers. You know, I think one of the dominant implicit uh, ideas of recent years has been this idea that only some people suffer. Mm. You know, and that like if a white man says he's suffering, it's not really. You know, mm-hmm. which is just horrific. I mean, it's just like mm. inhuman. You know, it's like everybody suffers by virtue of being alive. You know, being alive is difficult. But
0: well, we do live, don't we, in remarkably ungenerous times? Yeah. <laughs> I mean harsh, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and I think it's like identifying who benefits from that or why this Mm, rhetoric mm, is increasingly mm. dividing people, you know, like, that's what I mean about the old left. I think the old left was not divisive in this way. It was like, even if people disagree or if they have an idea about immigration or something, it's like, you talk to everybody, you listen to people, you know, you hear their concerns and you try to understand them. You don't, you know, like, A steamroller in and say this is the right line, and anyone who disagrees must be a Nazi. Mm. You know, I mean, the left have lost the working class. Like, they Mm. don't, you know, over Brexit, over, I don't know, the Canadian truckers, Mm. you know, every time the working class actually does something which is quite left wing, actually, or historically would have been perceived that way, they're just uh, ignored or or actually demeaned.
0: Oh, I'd say more than uh, demonized, you know, utterly demonized. I know your your book isn't you know your book is a, a, a serious discussion. It's not a self help book or anything. <laughs> but um, you know one thing that does come a lot up is, uh, come a lot in one's own life. You know talking to friends and that, and that is that younger guys now feel really inhibited about you know dates and things. very very concerned and worried about dating because they just think you know they're going to if they put a foot wrong you know. Um, do you think that they exaggerate that, or do you do you think they've got a point?
1: I think they have a point. I mean, I think if you, you know, most people, for example, used to meet their, or a lot of people met their spouse at work. Now, yeah. if you flirted with someone at work, you wouldn't because you'd be worried about being hauled up on a sexual harassment charge. You know, so that's about the HR thing and this kind of, you know, creating this suspicious world in which everyone's motive is somehow like evil or, mm. you know, negative and particularly men, right? Mm. So I think, yeah, if, if, if you're a young man today, um, I, it would be very terrifying. And I talk about this paradox of like the pro like the idea we we both live in like this really hedonistic culture that encourages people to get drunk and take drugs and have sex. But on the other hand, if you make a mistake and you're not even clear what the rules are, you are like absolutely punished and condemned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. So obviously I think the implicit um, effect of that is one of fear and suspicion because nobody wants to be the person who's... You know done something wrong who you know who might be accused of abuse or sexual harassment you know on the other hand everybody's made mistakes you know everybody Mm -hmm, is like mm -hmm. kissed the wrong person or been a dick or gotten drunk you know what i mean it's like that's and i think there used to be more i don't know acceptance of that gray area the fact that social life is really difficult sometimes Mm -hmm. that you know like sometimes people have an argument and then you got to apologize later and you know everyone is capable of being an idiot and so I wanted that, that sort of generosity to come back, and I, but I do think more practically. I mean, I joked about this earlier, but you know, the, the technology, these dating apps, they mitigate against risk in. in real life, like the enc- the random encounter, you know, let's say with someone you completely disagree with, you know, the app screen for disagreement over mm. difficult issues, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and I think that isn't why you love somebody, it isn't why you like them, or it isn't why you fancy them mm. either, mm. and so I think what's, what is important is these other alternatives that are real life, like going to church or being involved in, um, I don't know, like, Uh, education, evening classes, or like places where you meet people. Yeah, volunteering, like,
0: Mm. you know,
1: where you might get to know somebody in real life, Mm. you know, rather than the enforced date, which I think makes people extremely jaded. You know, people start to think Mm. of each other as things, you know, as commodities, more or less exchangeable, and people are not fungible. You know, everybody is like, unique, you know, Mm. in in an individual. And, And the reason why we love people is for that uniqueness. You know, not because they fulfil a need or they are exchangeable yeah. with someone else.
0: I think, you know, you're, that point about doing something outside of yourself, yeah. you know, I think is so important. I'd say almost for all relationships, not just between men and women, you know, some of the best friendships I've made have been where there is a common purpose, outside, to use that expression, uh, outside of, our, of both of us, uh, maybe political or maybe charitable, something like that. It just seems to bring people together I think far more and you know this is now this is like got the air of auditions about it hasn't it the yeah. whole dating thing yeah. Yeah. no
1: for sure and it's like you know people get too obsessed with themselves and that's actually really bad yeah. it's boring you know and destructive and it makes people depressed
0: <laughs> well if you don't want to be depressed uh you should read the book um what do men want masculinity and its discontents by Nina Power it's in bookshops presumably and on amazon right yes yeah definitely um anyways, thanks so much for coming in and talking all about it it's was, it was lovely and um all the very best thanks. and um i know that this will i'm sure have quite a market so uh, it'll do well thank you very much indeed um that's it for so what you're saying is this week uh, for our members uh, we have some exclusive content so i'm going to be asking Nina a few more questions but to everybody else uh, we shall see you next time on So, What You're Saying Is. Thank you. Hello if you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever and we have great plans ahead for the future but we can't do it without your support. From as little as three pounds per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free, just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.